How would you respond if, say, tomorrow I randomly bumped into you in the street and asked you, how are you? Because if you're anything like me, there are two responses to that question that at some point in your life you have had to ban yourself from saying. The first is, I'm busy. The second is, I'm tired. Or what about lockdown? Which stereotype do you think you most fall into from that first lockdown? Were you the person who learned a new language, became a long distance runner for Team GB and are now going to be competing at Tokyo 2021? You founded a charity that looks after and cares for those who are lonely. You made enough meals to feed the entirety of York and still had some left over. Oh, and you did your job and you looked after your family. Or like me, were you the second stereotype? Did you finish 20 TV series? Did you have to replace your sofa because you'd worn a wonderfully shaped dent in the cushions? Did you find yourself sampling every takeaway in a 20 mile radius and could now tell someone exactly what they should eat for what price and where? You see, it seems we have a rest problem. Ordinarily, we are hectic, busy, going about at a breakneck speed. In fact, in Japan, if you fall asleep at your desk rather than being fired, you're praised. Because it's perceived as you having worked so hard that you are physically exhausted, to the point of needing to sleep before you can do any more work. Or the fact that when we're given rest, when we are literally forced to rest. We don't really know what to do. We either are busier than we ever were before, or we are tired. We are, we do nothing and wish we could do it again. Well, today we're going to look at rest. So read with me as we have a look at Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as God has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, before we go any further, it's probably worth saying that to just do this passage justice would probably take over a year. Now, my wife is used to me droning on, but I don't think you are. So instead, let's focus on just two verses, verses nine and ten. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. But there are a few words that we need to look at. The first is Sabbath. Now, I reckon most of us probably know that this probably means that we meant to spend a day resting. But we don't really know what to do on that day or why it's important. You see, a lot of us now, probably most of us, have bought into this idea of we live for the weekend. We spend the week slaving away at our work, grinding away, and then at the weekend that's ours. That's us to do with as we want. And I've seen two extremes of this. The first was my hockey friends at university. The weekend was theirs. It's their time to do what they want. They need to relax. They need to let off steam. They need to vent. So let's focus on the moment. Focus only on the evening. Don't worry about whatever else is happening. Just focus on them. Because how else are we going to let off steam? How else can we build up and reward ourselves for the week that has come? But the problem that they started to notice and I started to notice was that not focusing on the moment on a Saturday evening often meant Sunday was a write-off. They would wake up maybe 11 o'clock, 2 o'clock even in the afternoon, sometimes with a hangover, sometimes still exhausted. And they'd spend the entirety of Sunday having to recover. And then Monday would swing around and it would feel like they'd not really had a break. And so the focus again became, let's get to Saturday. There I can rest, there I can relax, I can enjoy myself, focus on the moment. But the, the cycle always continued of Sunday being a write-off, Monday coming around before you knew it. Or there is the other extreme of the weekend is mine, so I'm going to do nothing. I've worked so hard, I, I deserve to do nothing. But the problem with that is flicking through Netflix, lying in. All of these are, they're not bad things in and of themselves. Having a, a day to relax, not have the alarm go off. Spend some time just catching up with TV shows. They're not bad in and of themselves, but when they become our routine, we're left feeling like we've done nothing. We're left feeling as tired, if not more tired, than when the weekend started. And Monday morning comes around and it feels like we never even had a day off. So what is the Sabbath? Well, thankfully, God tells us. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. The Sabbath is a day that is holy to the Lord. So that Israel can reflect on what God has done. He made the heavens and the earth in six days and on the seventh day he rested. So Israel was meant to rest on the seventh day. 
It's a little bit like the royal weddings. Now, I don't know if you're a Republican, a royalist, or just don't care. But when the royal weddings came around, the entire country was given a bank holiday, at least for William and for Kate. And the idea was that we were meant to rest, to settle, to focus on what was happening and celebrate with them, to celebrate the people who one day were going to be the figureheads of our nation. And so we were called in to spend this day focusing on them, to reflecting on what's happening, to celebrate with them, to rejoice with them in what they have taken a part in. God also expands on Sabbath a little bit more in Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 17. And in here, he says that the Sabbath is a sign that God sanctifies his people. It's a day where other people could look and the Israelites could look and see, oh, God is the one who sanctifies us. Now, it's a little bit like a birthday or days where we remember particular people or particular events. You see, when I when my students have birthdays, often they'll come in with badges on, birthday badges, sometimes with their age, sometimes not. And that was to signify that it was a special day to them. It was their birthday. And so that became then a sign to their friends, to their to the other students, to the teachers that we should celebrate with them as well, that it was a special day for them. And so it should be a day where we make them feel special. So a, a Sabbath is a meant to be a sign that this is a special day. It is a particular day. It's a day where God sanctifies his people. Now, again, that's not a word we hear very often. It's a little bit like the New Year's honours that the Queen gave out a few weeks ago. These honours are a sign that someone has done something special that they've done something good, they've contributed to society in a particular way, and that they're approved by the Queen. That's a little bit like God sanctifying his people, but not quite. You see, rather than people just having done something good, it's God saying that they are God. It's God making them good. And it's not just to say that these people are special, but that they are God's special people, and that they are set aside for God. And it's not just that God's people are approved by another person who can be wrong, who could be evil, but they're approved by God, the creator of the universe, the only person who is truly and completely good. So the Sabbath is a day, it is a sign that God is the one who has made the world, but also who makes and declares his people good. It's all about rest. What is God's idea of rest? Well, in Exodus chapter three, verses seven and eight, God promises Moses that the Israelites will have a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, just imagine this for a second. You're an Israelite slave in Egypt. You barely get enough food, maybe not even enough to feed your children, let alone yourself. You work from dawn to dusk. People physically own you and it's entirely on their whim whether they're going to treat you well or badly each day. And you have no way of knowing. You wonder when you hear that whistling in the air if that whip is coming for you or for your friend next to you. You don't know when the beating is going to come. And it's not an if, it's a when. When are the people who physically own you going to decide that they're not that fond of you today and they're going to make sure you know it? Your entire life is controlled by, owned by people who think you are less than the scum of the earth. And God has just promised a land 
overflowing with food and natural resources, a land where you will never have to worry if your children are fed, where you'll never have to worry if what you're doing is good enough because the God of the universe approves of you, a land where you won't be working from dawn till dusk for people who despise you, but it will be a land that has been given to you as a gift, a land given for you to enjoy, to rest in and not worry about the conditions that you're currently in that will never return. In many ways, it is a, an ongoing, lifelong Sabbath. It's a little bit like if you've ever watched Downton Abbey, Lord Grantham, who owns the Abbey, his estate, to be honest, the whole village, has a valet called Bates. Now, Bates isn't a slave, but he is a servant. And his job is to make sure that Lord Grantham doesn't have to worry about those little things in the day, getting changed, getting his car loaded, making arrangements and appointments with people. Now, it's a little bit like Lord Grantham saying to Bates, Bates, here are the keys to the Abbey. Here are the deeds to the estate. It's yours. I want you to have it. I want you to never have to worry about having to work for me again, ever have to wake up before the cockerel has started crowing, go to bed long after the sun has set. I never want you to have to worry about that, whether your children will be fed, whether you will have a job next week. I want you to rest, to enjoy what I'm giving you. But I want you to have it so that we can have a relationship, so that we can be friends, so that the time that we have together, we can spend getting to know each other. I can know you and you can know me and we can enjoy each other's company, rejoice together, delight in each other's presence. That's what God is offering Israel. But notice the end is not the land. The end God has in mind for giving them the land is that they would enjoy him worship him, delight in him. They would not have to worry about the Egyptians telling them who they should worship and how they should do it. This was a place, it was to be a place where the Israelites could rest and enjoy God forever. They could worship him in comfort, in safety and security. In many ways, it's like God was adopting the Israelites. You see, when parents adopt children, they are giving them a home. They're giving them safety. They're giving them security. They're giving them comfort and consistency that they can rely on. But they're also giving them more than that. They're giving them a loving home. They're giving them a family that they can be a part of, people who will care for them and in turn, people they can care for. When a child is adopted, they are brought into a family, not primarily for the services and goods that the family provides, but for the family itself. God, in bringing them into this rest, which he did through Joshua, who was Moses' successor, God is bringing them into a land where they don't have to worry about the basic requirements of life so that they can focus on God, the supreme enjoyment in life. So the Sabbath rest is holy to God. It is a sign to God's people and to those outside of God's people that God's people are sanctified, made honourable, given honour, made good by God. And it is a an inheritance given to them so that they can enjoy God, worship God forever. Now the question is, is this Sabbath rest for us? Is it just for the Israelites who came a thousand years ago, whose 
homeland now has been destroyed and they are trying to rebuild. Is that the promise that we have a, a physical place? Well, we see in verse 9 that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But is it, is it a place or is it something else? Oh, see, this Sabbath rest, as we see in verse 10, is primarily a resting from our works. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The picture that we have of the land of Sabbath is a broader life, an eternal life of rest. Now, there are some obvious ways that we work. We work for people's approval. We work to show off, have a nice car, a nice house a nice family, or the electronic gizmos you could ever want. But there's also a, a less obvious way. You see, there is a restlessness within our hearts. As Paul explains in Romans 1, the lusts of our hearts, the desires, the longings that get out of control in our hearts, drive us. And because they drive us, we reject God's rest. Because we sin, we create our own desires. We seek to create our own world, our own selves. Now, Carl Truman picks up on this idea and he expands on it. What's called expressive individualism. It's that our sense of self, our purpose in life, what satisfies us, what makes us unique or important or special is something that we have to discover and then express to others. Like Lego bricks and Lego blocks, we have to build up ourselves, what we think we should be like, but then also mould the world. Having transformed ourselves, having built up the model, we then have to mould the world to fit our model. It's a little bit like one of those Wozjig puzzles. Seeing the picture of what it's like looking outwards, we have to piece this puzzle together, not quite knowing what's there. Only now we don't have the box. We don't even know the number of pieces that we need. And we have to make the pieces ourselves as we're building the puzzle. It's no wonder we're exhausted. It's no wonder our time is spent either doing nothing or busier than we were during the week. Because now... We have to do what makes us feel good in the moment. We have to fashion out a piece to jam into the puzzle to see if it fits at that particular moment in time. But this doesn't leave us satisfied. It leaves us exhausted, overwhelmed, frantic, hectic, running around trying to make this life fit for us. Because we are continually working to try and invent our own world. And so then we push away the one true life the only rest that satisfies us, Jesus Christ. But there is a rest for us. There remains a Sabbath rest for us. The apostle who wrote Hebrews and God now calls us to put down our life-creating, world-shaping tools and instead believe Jesus when he says, Behold, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Trust me. Believe in me when I say you can rest. That I have taken your burden upon me. That you do not need to try and make yourself good. Because I have done that. 
I have given you the honour that you could never earn. Enter God's rest now through faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the one who has made you. He's the one who has died you to give you honour and value and worth, that he has made you acceptable and good before God. But as the apostle says in verse 11, we need to strive together. It's very easy to lose sight. It's very easy to be led off by our hearts and start working again to leave God's rest and seek out our own, which will ultimately crumble. But how do we do that? Well, we can spend some time reflecting on where we are trying to work, where we're trying to prove ourselves, to create our own world rather than rest in the puzzle God has put together for us. And a key way that we can do this is laid out in the chapter for us. We can read God's word. We can read the Bible because in the Bible, God helps us to see where we are trying to work, where we're trying to jam those puzzle pieces in and then lead us to seek forgiveness, to put down those tools and to rest. Through reading the Bible, God opens our eyes by his spirit to see the puzzle that he has already put together for us. It is already complete and waiting together and daily reading of our Bible. Even if all we can manage is five minutes, that is a chance for us to taste and see that God is good. To see that the puzzle God has made for us is good, is the only puzzle that can ever satisfy us or give us what we need. It is the only puzzle where we can truly rest and stop trying to fit those pieces in. It is a chance for our hearts to be led to rest in Jesus Christ for one more day to, and then to look ahead to the eternal rest that is coming for us, where that Sabbath rest is no longer a day, no longer a place, but instead it is for eternity with God. And this may be painful. For some of us, we may be brought to see that actually our Sundays aren't the sign they're meant to be. They don't show that we worship God, that we delight in God, rather they're any other day. For others, God might reveal some of those lusts in our hearts, those out of control longings that lead us to sin. But the apostle and God now wants us to have confidence. We have a high priest, a representative, a master puzzle maker, Jesus Christ, who sympathises with us, who knows our sins, knows our weaknesses and won't turn us away, but calls us to draw near to him in faith to draw near to the throne of grace, to be given mercy, help and grace in our time of need. So draw near to Christ now in confidence as you think about your life, as we look together at our, the way, is the way we spend our time a sign that we are God's? As we look to taste and see that rest that God has promised us in Christ as we read our Bibles. Draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Christ is waiting to welcome you in faith.